Seeking God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. Before we get into the episode this week, I just wanted to invite you to join the Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You know, I've always wanted a place where we can all engage together with the ideas and topics raised on the podcast. So we've started Messy Conversations as a place for the Messy Spirituality podcast community to further engage with those topics, to engage in conversations about deconstruction, reconstruction, and everything in between. For the privacy and safety of everybody involved, it's a closed group. Healthy, respectful debate is, of course, encouraged, but any name-calling, finger-pointing, accusatory, or toxic conversation gets folks bounced from the group. Hopefully, that won't ever be an issue. We really just wanted a place where you can come and tell us what's on your mind as a result of the conversations that we have here on the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash messy conversations with an S, it's plural, messy conversations to join the conversation. And I hope to see you there. Michelle Snyder is true heretical royalty, being a direct descendant of an actual heretic who was excommunicated by Pope Leo X. She is a certified lay minister who studied at Malone College and online through Ligonier School of Theology. She would later trade in her obsession with the work of R.C. Sproul for a similar obsession with the work of Peter Enns. She is the host of a brand new podcast called The Red-Headed Ragamuffin, and I'm excited to welcome her to this podcast today. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Michelle Snyder. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you on here today. I'm excited to hear your story. Can you start us off by just giving us some of your backstory? Were you raised to be a person of faith? No, absolutely not. I did have grandparents, though, that were in the faith. My both grandmothers, really strong believers. My great, my grandmother, my father's side was Baptist, and she took me to church, and she was just amazing, just amazing woman of God. What a story she has. She had a child at 13 years old, another child at 15 years old. And I mean, she has, these people have stories that, that's why I want to do my podcast to talk about the power of story. But my other grandmother, my maternal grandmother is the one who is, you know, granddaughter to Luther, great times 10 for her. And she is a devout Catholic. I'm talking every day, not twice a week, not three times a week, every day she went to church and to Catholic mass. And um, she was actually in an accident this summer and passed away at 94. And she would have lived to be over a hundred, we believe. And it's just, it's so ironic to me because Katie Luther was tossed from a, a cart and died that way days later. And my grandma, it wasn't a horse and buggy cart fleeing from the black plague or anything, but it was church parking lot. She had her walker. She sat down and some guy help, was trying to help her, but he helped her a little long too fast. And she tumbled out, broke both femurs, and then later died in surgery in the hospital. But oh, no. it was so awful. And it was just this past summer. But she was amazing. Like she, But her being Catholic my whole life, I mean, well, as a Christian, I didn't even believe she was a Christian. You know, if she wasn't Protestant, it was like, she's Catholic? Oh, she's not even saved, you know? It was so sad up until the last few years. I remember I wrote to her because I actually bought a Catholic Bible, and I wrote her a note and said, Granny, I bought a Catholic Bible <laughs> just so I could read the heretical apocrypha that I had never, after studying theology for 20 years, 
you know, that was heresy. And you can read that, those extra books. And it's just amazing. But she was quite a lady. And then, you know, I just passed away this past summer. And my mom was obviously raised Catholic under her. She has, my grandmother had 15 children. So it's, that's crazy. 15, 12 living now, but they were raised Catholic, confirmed everything. And my mom at 17 married my dad, shotgun wedding. (laughs) Thanks to my Baptist grandmother, it was, he, my dad was forced to marry my mom. She was pregnant with my brother at 17 and my dad was 24 and he was more mystical, my dad. He very mystic thinking. He liked Scott Peck, people like that. And my mom was, she called herself a recovering Catholic. And she was just kind of everywhere. She took us to a charismatic church in Canton. I don't know. You're not from right where I'm from or you'd know this church. But it's, so I had pretty much a mixed bag of a lot of Catholic, Baptist, you know, every mystical, charismatic, there was all kinds of influence there. But in the home, we were just regular, just dysfunctional and broken people. (laughs) I mean, dysfunctional all the way back to Luther, I hate to say, with a lot of brokenness and mental disturbances, I would definitely say. I'll give you a little example. Um, My dad, we were told, my mom, we were told we were going to have a pool in our yard. We had a house with five acres of land in the woods and he told us we were going to, we were going to dig a swimming pool. And turns out my mom said it it was actually our grave that we were digging. So that's kind of crazy. You know, I find that it's just, just very much mental illness and dysfunction and alcoholism and a lot of crazy. And then my mom and dad, they would, they divorced when I was about 10. And my dad went into recovery, AA, and I spent time in Alateen and my mom in Al-Anon and they would reunite. We moved like 20 times back and forth. Just they would get back together and break up and get back together. It was so dysfunctional. And well, I have to tell you a little bit. My brother, his story is just amazing. So being in an alcoholic home, you know, you're either going to go one way. Sometimes you're going to either become one or maybe marry one. It's just a part of the whole cycle of dysfunction, it feels like, unless you get some kind of outside help. So my brother, he went down the road of alcoholism and I went down the road of never even wanting to try it, just being afraid, you know, never. To this day, I've never had an alcoholic beverage like out in public ever. Not, And I'm almost, I mean, I'm old. <laughs> I'm getting up there. And until it, it stuck with me, I'll never forget my dad was in a, he well, was kind, he was in a horrible accident at one point, but he was at Molly Stark Hospital. We went in to visit him this was before his treatment. And I really honestly thought he was going to die. And I made some kind of inner vow, like, I'm never, this is never going to happen. I'm never going to do this kind of thing. So I took that route and my brother took, you know, he just followed right in his footsteps. And he was one night drunk on the couch. Pat Robertson of all people came on the television screen and my brother got saved. Okay. I'm talking 180. He did. He actually knocked on my door in the middle of the night. And I said, oh. I was like, go back to bed, you drunk, blankety blank. Okay. It was, that was the kind of house we lived in. And I saw a change. I couldn't believe it. I, the way he changed, he gave away his car. I mean, he just went all in. He gave away his car. He completely changed. I mean, he can't be, he was this angry alcoholic person to this pacifist that was just giving everything away and loving everyone. And I mean, it, 
I felt like it was some type of nervous, you know, mental breakdown, but I really did see God and he would plant things around the house, Bible tracks. I turned on the bathroom light and Petra would be playing, you know, like, because we had like a little tape recorder in the plug in the mirror. And when you would turn on the light, the music would come on and it was Petra scaring me to death. And it's just, it's crazy. Well, my brother, he tried to witness to me, but I was just not hearing any of it. I told him where he could stick it. I was just like, no way. I don't want anything to do with this. This is crazy. And I had been um, through like a severe traumatic experience recently before that. And I had a big shift in the way I was acting. And my brother was really worried about me. And I guess he, he knew the only thing that would save me was Christ. And so he would just plant, you know, Bible tracks and everything around the house. And he became so successful in business after he got saved. Like everything just changed for him. It was like he hit the lottery and he became, he started making a lot of money, started going out of town. And my mom and him were more like brother and sister. My mom, very young when she had us and she wasn't, she was very sister-like, never really had a mother daughter relationship. It was always just sisters kind of, we grew up together. Well, her and my brother would go on business trips together and I'd be left alone at a you know young teenage age. And I had just been through this horrible traumatic experience. And I remember just systematically planning my suicide. Like I just, I was, I'm done. So I had it all planned out. I had pills, I had water, I was ready. And I'm on the edge of this water bed. That shows you the year it was. And in the middle of this mess of a room, I look down and this track, Bible track is staring at me, says, do you know for sure if you would die today that you would go to heaven? So, and I had heard stuff from my brother and all of this had been happening, but I don't know, it's crazy how I could see it be changed by a Bible track. And I know people make fun of them and everything else and they're ridiculous, but I picked it up and it was a really good one. It was actually pretty thick, not so crazy one done by D. James Kennedy and R.C. Sproul from Evangelism Explosion. I don't know if you know anything about that, but yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good program, but I picked it up. I read it. I signed it. It was November 26, 1990. I still remember. And I didn't end up ending, ending it all. And uh, I told my brother and he came home and all of a sudden I'm at church and people are hugging me and crying. I guess these people had been praying for me for so long, but I did not have a kind of experience my brother had where it was a 180. It was just all of a sudden the Christian music he was playing didn't hurt my ears anymore. It actually was music to my ears and little things like that started to change, but I was still just the same, except I felt different. I I never took the Lord's name in vain anymore. That was my favorite word, you know, GDJC and the F word. <laughs> Those were my favorite as a teenager. But that's the only difference that really happened at that point. It was, um, it was a slower, you know, not my brother, not instant, but I had a lot of counseling and a lot of things to go through. And by the time I was 18, though, I was, I started to make the big change as far as living it out. And in that meantime, though, I had a really abusive relationship with a man. And just like I said, nothing really changed except I felt different in my heart, but nothing externally happened. Just more abuse, you know, kept happening. And finally, this guy that I was dating got put into jail. (laughs) So I had a little break from him and I started hanging out with my brother, going to more Bible studies. And then, I don't know, it just... 
I started to, I think it was Reformed Theology. Someone had introduced me to R.C. Sproul and all of his teaching. And it just, it's so sad because I embraced that. It's warm theology is what I call it now. And I'm so ingrained in it. And it's even in my blood, 20 years of it. And I remember the freedom I had before that. And that's how I'm starting to feel now. And I'm not I'm not going from Calvinism to Arminianism or anything like that. I keep telling anyone they're just like, I can't believe you're not a Calvinist. No, but I'm not an Arminian either. Not at all. I just don't even know. There's very few things I know for sure anymore. And my experience I've had with Christ that no one can take away from me, that's all I'm left with right now. You know, that's exactly how I feel. So everything is new and I don't know. I, at least I did a lot of counseling and trauma therapy, and I did theophostic counseling. I did all this stuff because my brother, the one who, you know, did the 180, he had this great life for so many years, and then it all crumbled down because he didn't deal with all of the stuff that he just, you know, the Lord healed me and I'm better, and you know, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff that happened, and. I'm just going to, you know, walk with Jesus and have this awesome life, the charismatic movement. You know, he was kind of in that. Just, oh, you know, Jesus take care of everything and I don't have to go to counseling. I don't have to do anything. It's just all going to be better now. And right now he's really suffering, my brother. But Oh, that's so sad. I know. So Jesus literally saved your life. Literally. Yeah. In every way you can be saved. That's incredible. It's great because with all this deconstruction, I remember one day I had, I literally had the text of terror in front of me and I felt like this breakdown of what if there is no God? What if this is all wrong? What if there's no Jesus? And I literally, Jason, I felt like I was back in that room at 15, ready to die. That's why I felt like it was just like, I'm going to go back to that place without Jesus. I'm going to die. I can't live without him. And it was just a moment, you know, because he I've experienced him and no one can take it away. I don't, it's like doubting Thomas. It's like, I have seen and believed. Uh, blessed are those who have not seen, but I have seen. <laughs> so I know he's real. And so I have that. And I'm so glad because I have friends that I've been talking to and they're breaking down, they're deconstructing. And they didn't, they were raised in Christian homes. They never experienced Christ. And I'm so grateful I have that experience that. I can't even explain. Only if you've experienced it, do you understand that that's the only thing I left with at the end though. And that's probably the only thing that matters. <laughs> I hope, you know, so. Right. I know that I've described my own deconstruction as kind of a theological house burning down around me. And the only thing left at the end was Jesus. You sound like you had a really similar experience. Yes. Um, when did you first start to doubt the reformed theology, the Calvinism that you had kind of been steeped in? I think the first crack in the echo chamber was just even being pregnant with my first daughter. I literally was praying, please, Lord, send me a vessel of mercy. I was so afraid to have a vessel of destruction, Romans 9, you know, <laughs> some of her vessels of mercy, some of her vessels of wrath. No one gets injustice. You know, everyone, it's just so sad. So I think that was when I first started to break down and then having the child, oh, and just having kids. And then I started reading, and I had studied theology, mainly under a systematic, you know, Calvinistic way, of course, R.C. Sproul. But everything made sense under that. It was just like certainty. I knew, I, I felt like I knew everything. It was the most arrogant. It was awful. I mean, I, I really had God figured out. 
and I was chosen and you know, I just had it going on, I guess. Until I had, yeah. <laughs> that must've been nice for you. It was, it was definitely a safety bot. It was all about safety and security, yeah. you know, that I never had growing up right. and all of a sudden I had it and it was great. But then, you know, life happens and, and even just, just reading the Bible though, I had a living Bible and I thought, Oh, a living Bible. And before I would never read such a thing. Of course, you know, I can't read that translation, right? but I started to lighten up a little bit. And I started listening to this podcast called the deconstructionist podcast. And they come out of um, Columbus, they're out of Columbus. Yeah. And at first it just sounded so like, but I still, I, I felt like those are my people. These are my people. I never fit in anywhere. I never fit with like, I'm too conservative for the liberals and I'm too liberal for the conservatives. I just, I never fit anywhere, even in church, anywhere. So those guys though, I just felt like they were my people. I'm like, I just got to keep listening. I might not agree with all this, but I have to keep listening. And Peter Enns was on there and it just, he blew me away. And I, and this was before he started the podcast. So I instantly got involved before it even started. I was able to get in the producers group and all this because it was the very beginning. And I just was so blown away by and he's from harvard but he's the most humble guy and it's just it's amazing and see that goes a long way because when you're in a calvinistic world i don't think that's where you come from but the people they're so not nice like did you just see the latest johnny mac video yeah in that crowd i would have been one of those women in the crowd like cheering i would have you know, that was the were... saddest thing about that video for me was the women that you could hear applauding and cheering their own oppression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's how it is. They don't even know they're slaves. They don't know. And that's that's how people stay slaves because, you know, they're not even aware. It's just sad. It's like a frog in the water. So tell me, like, when you would visit a church, you, you talked about not feeling like you fit in even in church. When you would visit a church, what made you feel like you didn't fit in there? Well, I can tell you, even before my reform days, coming out of the severe trauma that I came from, I was right into purity culture was where I was, I was in the 90s. And so here I am, a very like just broken person, but I have this new life in Christ. But I go into youth group and they have they have us pass around a piece of tape and everybody passes it around and when it gets back to you and it's not sticky anymore, this is you. You know, the whole purity culture, they have you, these illustrations are so insane. They have, I was just supposed to take my daughter coming up here on something called Passport to Purity. <laughs> and I threw the book away. We were just like, we're not going to do this. There's an illustration in there. You, you blow up a white balloon. And if you hold a boy's hand, you take a little bit of air out of the balloon, a little bit more air out of the balloon. You kiss the boy. Oh, you lose a lot of air out of the, you're losing your purity. It's just, it's so awful. And it was so damaging to me coming from what I had experienced. And it wasn't like what the Lord was telling me about myself, but it was when, what I learned from purity culture just put me right back in just despair. And so I never quite fit. So what would the Lord tell you to counteract those voices in your life? What was God saying about you? While purity culture was saying you're broken, you're uh, diseased or impure in some way, what were you hearing from the Lord during those days? Uh, I was hearing I was white as snow and just the complete opposite, you know, that your righteousness is filthy rags anyway. And I'm the one, you know, I'm the righteous one and nothing you can do can ever change it. And it was all just 
the opposite of what I was being told. And I'll like sit in, even growing up or like later, just in a woman's group. If you would see, if you would see what it's like in a woman's group, when you're with women that have been raised in the church, and I hate, I hate to say this because I'm the type of person I don't want to judge, but I end up judging the judgers. So you're still judging, you know, I'm still being just as, it's like a reverse snob is what I can be when somebody's too, got it too good. Like they'll, they'll talk about these things that are very trivial to someone like me. And you're in there and you're just like, really? Like this is happening right now? A friend of mine was just telling me about a, a person that almost didn't get to graduate from their college because they weren't premillennial dispensationalists. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, these people have problems. There's they're real hurting people in the world going through real things and you're worried about that's what the problem with the church is i feel like today like luther he risked his life to you know do what he did and be condemned as a heretic or whatever and run for his life and these people are kicking people out of christian colleges when they're pregnant out of wedlock for having the baby you know it's just the church is in a mess i feel like we need a new reformation <laughs> we really do absolutely so as you started to let go of the Calvinist theology, I know you said earlier, you're not swinging to the polar opposite of that. You're not an Arminianist. Where do you, an Arminian, where do you find yourself today? How do you describe your theology? I hate to say it's almost like agnostic because I am I'm, I'm like a student now and I'm, I feel like I have a whole new eyes and I'm, everything that I have been told that I should not listen to my experience, my heart, you know, everything the Lord actually showed me in the beginning, I was trained not to trust any of that, like really trained not to, and to teach it to others as well. And even after everything I had experienced, I can't believe I fell into it, but it was just my little box of security. I wasn't getting my identity in him. It was in a system and it failed. It failed miserably. And I'm glad I only wasted 20 years. It could have been my whole life, but I want want those 20 years back. That's what I feel like. It's terrible. I want those 20 years back, but it's not going to happen. So today, what writers, preachers, theologians influence your faith where you are today? Well, I'd say Brad Jarsak is definitely a favorite. Brian Zond, everybody I hear that are more progressive I can never complete. I never completely agree, probably with everybody. Just as I didn't even in the reformed world, I'm always outside the box somehow. But I've, it's like a whole new world. I'm learning things that this is all. I mean, like atonement theories. We were never taught about atonement theories. The gospel was penal substitutionary atonement. That is the gospel. That's what we're taught. You know, it, everything. I'm just unlearning everything now, and I'm in a really. I don't even like to answer because I don't even know. I know Jesus. I know him. I know him. But everything else, I'm just I'm not sure I can even end up in a category. And that's why the ragamuffin thing really works because a ragamuffin has no choice but just to depend on grace. You know, there's there's no other way for me but just God's mercy. I love that. You really sound like someone who's given their heart to a person, not a system. That that's really moving to me. Tell me about that word ragamuffin. Where did you first hear it, and what does it mean to you? Well, I came across the ragamuffin gospel, and I was open minded enough to look into it, and it just blew me away. It it killed my Calvinism. <laughs> it has the power to kill Calvinism, even when it's in your blood. 
It's powerful I mean, stuff. It was, yes, it is. And my dad called me the redheaded ragamuffin because I shared it with my dad, which I had been praying for my dad salvation for over 20 years, just praying for him. And I showed him some Brennan Manning videos and he was in tears and I gave him the memoir and he's just a, like a completely different person himself. Cause he feels like he's accepted for who he is, like how he is. That's awesome. You know, and I've seen a big change. And so he kind of gave me that nickname, the redheaded ragamuffin. I just kind of went with that. <laughs> it fit. It fit very well. Absolutely. Now for many of us, there's a price to be paid for an evolving faith. What has your changing faith cost you and what has it given you? Well, I got to say, it's, I feel like it's cost me everything and nothing, <laughs> which doesn't sound right. But even before, I was already a Calvinist with a preterist bent. So I already didn't have a really big, large, you know, I couldn't fit anywhere anyhow. So I'm kind of, a lot hasn't changed in that way. I'm still very different and not uh, fitting in still. So that part's you know, new, but the part when I say I lost everything is that system and that whole, I built my life on it. I taught my kids things. I taught other people. It's just, everything's gone. You're just like at a, a blank slate now and everything, you know, you question. So just like when I'm sitting there with those texts of terror, having my little mental breakdown of, I can't believe God is this way. Like, there's no way he's like this. Jesus isn't like this. You know, as I remember thinking, someone told me, um, we were talking about David and his sin and with Bathsheba and then, you know, all of David's concubines and wives that get raped on the very same rooftop later. And I see, you know, that's God's punishment. And I was telling my friend, I'm like, well, what if Jesus was walking around that, that rooftop and all those women are being raped? Would he like that? Would he want that? Does, is that God's justice? You know, and, and they're like, no, <laughs> and I was like, of course not. And, and, and even they don't understand what we're talking about. We're just like all confused. And so I'm planting little seeds in other people's minds, but I'm not, I haven't arrived anywhere. I'm just kind of unlearning a lot. I'm in the unlearning phase. So I don't even know. It's all mass confusion <laughs> most days. Like I, I have like mood swings. I have mood swings. I'll be on our little groups that I met you on. and. One day I'm one way and the next day I'm ranting about something and it's just a hard place to be. It's probably a bad time to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking that, but I just, but I have the ragamuffin thing. So the bar is really low, you know? So that's one good thing. I got that. I'm, like, I'm just a ragamuffin. So don't, whatever I say, Jesus take the wheel, <laughs> basically. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your upcoming podcast. Why did you decide to start sharing your story and your evolving faith and the things that are you're passionate about with others via podcast? Well, the power of story is one of the things. And I think that I, I had thought about this. There were friends of mine that wanted me to do this before all of the deconstruction happened. And then, of course, it's on hold. That's why I haven't done it. And I'm like, I have, what can I say now? I just everything I believed and everything I had before that I thought I knew is gone. So I'm just going to let people tell their stories. I have some amazing people. Like I have uh, a friend, Mary Demuth. She's a sexual abuse advocate. She just wrote a book called We Too, or the church and how to handle sexual abuse in the church. 
And she's going to be on the podcast telling her story. And she's so wonderful. She's wonderful. She has a quote that says, an untold story never heals. And I feel like I have not ever told my story because when you're in the reformed world, even in the charismatic world, like you can't say anything that would make Jesus look bad and never have a bad day. You know how that is. You have to show the light of Jesus. You don't get to suffer, like even grieving. You're not even allowed to grieve anymore. Funerals are celebrations now. No, we're not allowed to grieve or have pain. It's such a game though. It's just denial, right? It is. Yeah. It's not reality. Reality doesn't care about your games (laughs) and it eventually finds you. (laughs) So I think that's what happened to us, the ones that are deconstructing. Reality just hit one day. and So tell us about some of the other guests you've got coming up. You talked about Mary. Um, what guests, what topics are you going to be addressing? Well, with Mary, it's going to be probably the sexual abuse stuff going on in the church. And I heard there's another podcast I heard when everybody was talking about. I don't know if you keep up on Twitter or not, but I know it's all about Johnny Mac this week. But last the last few weeks have been about David and Bathsheba and the whole David rape Bathsheba, you know, debate. And I heard I heard the most horrible Luther quote. And I, and it wasn't really like a quote, but they said some horrible thing that Luther had said about Bathsheba. And I, I scanned the internet. I cannot find it. And I even messaged the podcast and said, I happen to be an ancestor. You know, he's my ancestor. Can you please give me that quote? And they never got back to me. I was like, I, I, I don't know. I like to believe in the Luther of the movie that Joseph Fiennes portrays. <laughs> Because he's just so wonderful. And so, and I like to believe in that Luther. So when I hear this stuff, like I can talk about him, but when somebody else talks about him, it's just, it feels like a stabbing me in the heart. It's terrible. They're coming after you and your family, right? Well, especially they talk about his mental illness and his, you know, it's just like scrupulosity and all that. And it's, it's sad when it hits home and it's in your family and that's your actual bloodline. Absolutely. Well, I'm so encouraged by your journey and I'm I'm just really grateful for you just being so transparent about the things that you've been through. I know in your first episode of your podcast, you talk about focusing on brokenness in season one. What does it mean to you to be broken? Well, it's so hard because I filter everything through all of the paradigms I've had in the past. Like I was taught that I was broken. I mean, depraved, totally depraved. So that's why I'm like, I invite people to say, you know, like, I know there's a, a guy on a podcast I love. Um, can I say this at church? I, I think he even has t-shirts to say, you're not broken. Yep, sure does. And yeah, and I needed him to come on <laughs> and tell me about that. <laughs> so, All right, Seth Price, you heard it. You need to be on the Redheaded Ragamuffin yeah, podcast. Because brokenness to me was like a badge of honor, you know, before it's, it's um, the place we want to be. Break me, empty me. You know, take everything away. Like, well, what is um, the one guy from Caveman's Call, Derek Webb? Yeah. His song, his old song, I'm so thankful that I'm incapable of doing anything good on my own. That used to be one of my theme favorite songs as a Calvinist. I would yeah, sing it. Mine too. You know, and I don't even know what to think anymore. So brokenness is just, I feel broken. So going by my feelings, I'm broken. You know, so... And my my position in Christ, I believe, is not because I believe God looks down and sees Christ when he sees us positionally. So we're not broken. We are like Christ. We have his position. But here in this human state of, you know, what we are now, I do feel very broken. 
And I feel like I'm not alone in that. <laughs> so I'm like, people can. And another guest that I'm going to have is uh, Thomas J. Ord. And I'm reading his book and trying to just, he's just so great. I know I've messaged him on Facebook, like with voice message, and he's just so kind. And he has such a heart for broken and abused people. And I don't really even know his story, but somehow he has a heart for people like me. And I don't, it's just so, it's such a blessing to see that when I've been in the world of staunch uh, reformers like, say, John MacArthur. And and I'm not saying that about R.C. Sproul. I really believe he was a a humble guy. We used to, I wrote to him and things, and he was different than John MacArthur, but. I know that most of the guys in that are very arrogant and I hate to say it, but they're just, they're just not kind people. They're not Christ-like to me. So someone coming from my background, just, it's so hard to be around those kind of people, but yet I tried to become one and it never worked. I was a woman anyway. I remember I tried to get, be in, you know, Bible certifications and things. And I remember this guy telling me, it's never going to matter how many degrees you have. They're never going to listen to you. And I'm just like, okay, well, that's what you say, but Jesus says something else, you know? That's right. Yeah. Well, we're listening to you now and I'm excited to listen to more of your story on your podcast, the redheaded ragamuffin. Are you going to be releasing episodes weekly, bi-weekly? How are you going to do that? I sure hope so. I, I want to do that. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty sporadic knowing me, my personality, and just the whole ragamuffin thing. I might like, I don't know, feel inspired and do three or four and hold on to them for those darker days when I just can't even function, especially now with this deconstruction. You know, it's just hard. It's hard. I don't know what you guys go through on a daily basis, but it really does feel um, like a breakdown a lot. I feel like I need to go get some, I don't know. I just, everything, I, I realized this was my life. This is my life. My whole identity is definitely in Christ. But if, if I doubt him, if I doubt that he exists, I'm right back there in my bedroom in 1990. That's where I'm at. So in those moments of weakness, somebody can trigger it just from, I just read the stuff we read on our, you know, heretic groups on Facebook and somebody will just be a beacon of light sometimes, you know, but then they're, everybody's deconstructing in there. And so it's trigger, 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 you know, everywhere. So, and I think they tried to help. They've tried to put, you know, things up to help all that, but you really can't do that. I don't think you, you just got to let people be free and real because like I said about reality, it doesn't care. It doesn't wait for you. It doesn't snowplow the road for you. It's just there. So if I ever do any kind of page or anything, it won't have any, you know, you can't like mod modifiers or whatever it's called when you guys. Yeah. The moderation. Yeah. Well, you know, Brad Jerzak said something about church one time that really stuck with me. You know, he said, we we talk about making church a safe place. And he's like, when you get a lot of broken people together, it's not going to be safe. The best that we can hope for is healthy. And so, I mean, that maybe that's the goal. I've heard him say that because he said, if you if you don't like organized religion, you're really going to not like disorganized religion. <laughs> disorganized, that's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, and he's right because I've been in recovery churches before 
And oh, yep. it's it's scary. It really is like literally scary. <laughs> so you're not safe, you know. But I know, I know, there's such a it's such a fine line. It's so hard to balance freedom, you know. And that's a whole nother podcast because I've been I'm definitely very libertarian minded. So it's just so hard. I don't know. It's probably an oxymoron to be a libertarian Christian. I realize I could be a a flaming snowflake right now. A total oxymoron. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm grateful that you're raising your voice. I'm grateful that you're speaking out. So many people who get delivered from systems, they just try to sweep that under the rug and never talk about that part of their life. But you've been really forthcoming. What would you say to somebody, uh, a man or a woman, who's in that situation where they feel like they're starting to there's starting to be cracks in the foundation of the system that they bought into and they're afraid to let those things go to just pursue Jesus and Jesus alone. What would you say to that person? Well, a paradigm shift happened. I think it was Brad Jurisak when he said that Jesus Christ is the word. You know, in the beginning there was a word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We memorized those Bible verses. Well, he is the word. So that that was so shifting for me to think that. And then when you pick apart, I think it was Keith Giles that they were talking about the Bible and how it was put together. And you're just like, this is all so like we're given this with, to not question. Don't ever question this. And that's you want to question everything. Well, it's so encouraging. You know, you talked about not feeling like you fit in with the conservatives or the progressives or the Calvinists or the Armenians. Well, Jesus has a tribe and you're a part of that tribe. And I I hope I'm a part of that tribe and I want to be a part of that tribe. But that's our people. That's where we fit. And uh, there is safety there with him. Uh, but man, that box sure is attractive because it feels like that's where our safety is. Totally. Brennan Manning said something about, oh, oh, he didn't say woke, but he said an awake Christian knows that they're a ragamuffin, <laughs> you know? And so I think we forget what Christ was actually like. Like John MacArthur, I thought about if he was, if he, if Jesus would have been on that panel that day, do you think they would have been talking like that? No, not at all. They would have changed, but they don't realize Jesus is there, you know, with them. But everyone's like, no, he's with the broken. He wasn't on that panel. He's not even there. But really, we know he's there. But they forgot. And they're showing the world. That's what they're showing the world. They're so famous. I mean, they're, this is what people are going to think when they think of Jesus. That's why Jesus, I don't even want to call myself a Christian anymore. I, I stuck with the whole Jesus freak label because that still rings true. But when you say Christian, what do people think of? I mean, we used to we used to run into the plagues to rescue people. That's what we used to be like. And now, no, we would throw somebody over a flame to walk over them as we, that's what we do. It's heartbreaking. But there, there is a tide that is turning and more and more people like yourself are shedding that old skin and becoming that new creation that Jesus has called us to be. And I'm really encouraged. I, I, for a long time, I was really cynical about the future of the church. And in a lot of ways, I still am for, you know, establishment church as usual. But something is happening spiritually. And I'm so grateful for the reconstruction that so many are going through. People like you who are just letting Jesus put it back together. 
rather than a system. Yeah, Phyllis Tickle, didn't she say every 500 years <laughs> something big happens? Yep. The spirit moves. Here yeah, we're 500 years in now, 502 years past the Reformation. So let's hope that something, the spirit's on the move. You can tell. You just look at Twitter. I mean, look at Beth Moore and this John MacArthur thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, something's happening here. The people are going to wake up. Yep, absolutely. Well, Michelle, again, the podcast is called The Redheaded Ragamuffin. I'm really excited for folks to listen to it. How can our listeners find and engage with your work online? Well, I do have a Facebook page, I have a Twitter, Instagram, the new podcast. I have a I have a website, but I'm just working on my first I think I'm going to do my first blog post this week on just because it's Reformation week. <laughs> and I thought that'd be interesting to I don't know. I'm afraid. Like, I'm really afraid of what I'm going to say in the state of mind that I'm in. But this is just being human. And I don't know. I thought I had something so great to say before. But but look at it now. Now I can't even trust it. So I could just be quiet the rest of my life, I guess, and be safe about it. But that was definitely not the way Luther lived. And my great-grandmother, Katie. Oh, my gosh. Red-headed Katie Luther. She, he called her Lord Katie you know, and she was something else. So I don't think I even have the ability to stop, to shut up. I mean, it may not be, if I kept it without going on a podcast, that would help. That would contain it (laughs) for sure. (laughs) It would just be my (laughs) friends and family that have to hear everything, but I don't know. I'll just see what happens. No, the world needs your voice. We need your voice. I'm grateful for it. Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for sharing your story. I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on today. It's an honor. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.